I want to share a word that if you've been with us for the last few weeks, this word will sort of sum up a lot of what we said. But on the other hand, it stands perfectly by itself. And it's two texts, and I want to, by the end of this morning anyway, join them together. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16, After being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in some of your Bibles, it will have a reference in the margin that that could be translated, This my Son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, hold that. And then over in First John and chapter 3, he writes, See how great a love. And you might remember we've said in the past that it could be translated from the language uh, of the Bible as see this foreign kind of love, see this exotic love, see this out-of-this-world love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. Okay, both those verses have in them the word beloved. The first time it is given to Jesus, this is my son, my beloved. And then we are talked about in First John, you and I, and it again addresses us and says, beloved, we're the sons of God and we don't even know what, where this is going, it's too big. And it's this word beloved that has taken a hold of me in this last week. It's a very prominent word. It's one of those words, it's not only in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament too. And the Song of Solomon, of course, is overloaded with the word beloved. And then as you get into the prophets, they talk about the people of God as beloved. Um, yet, strangely enough, I've never heard anyone talk about it. It's amazing. But I, I, no, that's the truth. I've never heard a sermon on beloved that we, and when I say we, I mean every one of us sitting in this circle, sitting out there, wherever you are on Zoom, that God calls us beloved. And it's not just a fancy name, a sort of foo-foo name that he gives to us. It is rooted, rooted in who God is and in who we are. Um Unfortunately, the word beloved has sort of lost its meaning today. You would not hear anybody called beloved. Um, I, I heard a prominent pastor just the other day, um, and he, I was listening to what he had to say about this, and he said this word, essentially, he said, I don't know what to do with it. He said, I would never even call my wife beloved. Uh, and I thought, poor wife. Um, <laughs> that only shows the shallowness of the 21st century. 
that some of these rich English words that have such rootage in the New Testament, and we don't even know what they mean today. Beloved, do you realize that this word beloved addressed not only to Jesus, but to you and I, and addressed specifically, is mentioned 70 times in the New Testament. That's big, 70 times. In the New Testament, he calls us beloved. We really should know what he's talking about. Um, the word beloved, now, that, okay, that immediately introduces us to love. God is love. And when I say God is love, that shocks a lot of people. But when we say that God calls us beloved, that takes you to a deeper level of shock than you've ever had before. Because even if a person doesn't fully understand the word, they know this is more than a general statement, God is love. It means that he looks into my, your heart and says, I call you beloved. And, and I say again, that's got a, a bigger punch to it. But before I go any further, we've got to understand that the people who wrote the Bible, they were Hebrew people, Jewish people. And in the Old Testament Jewish culture, the word love, and then of course beloved, doesn't mean what it means today. And if some of you listening might get so upset about what I'm going to say, you might not hear the rest, but that's good. Get upset about this. Here in the United States especially, but it would be true over in Europe, um, where the Western world, wherever the West has touched, the word love has been so cheapened, it really means nothing at all today. And I have to stop and explain that when it says God is love, when he calls you beloved, it has absolutely nothing to do with what the majority of Westerners call love. Um, let me put it this way. Um, in the Bible, and this is between a man and a woman or from God, it's, this is how they understood love. It does not mean a feeling. It doesn't mean an emotional rush. Uh, if you ask uh, many today what is love, they will immediately zero in on a feeling they have or a rush that they got when they met this person that they say they love. And, and they are excited because that person would speak in terms of feeling and emotion. And, and it's hard to say, but in the scripture that is not first and foremost. It comes, but it comes quite a ways after what the Bible means by love. It doesn't mean that you've met somebody that is now going to fix all your problems. Um, well, we got a lot of those today. Uh, I, I remember talking about it even as far back in the 80s, you know, that people today, idea of love is that they're like parasites, they, they, they found someone. They can suck the life out of them because you are everything I need. I, I'm this poor, empty soul, and I found you the fullness. The trouble is the, uh, the, the, the fellow there, he, why do you think he said he loved you? Because he thought you were going to meet all his needs and, and uh, all his problems. Um, now, now, seriously, I, I know you're very mature people here, but um, out there, it's not so mature. 
And people really believe that love means I've met somebody who can serve me, who can be to me what I'm not. No, the Bible knows absolutely nothing of that. It doesn't mean I now feel this joy because I found someone. I've got someone. I have got someone that is now going to make me happy, you see. It's not, I, love in the Bible has nothing to do, nothing to do with me getting anything. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I found the beauty, the highest, the best, the most beautiful, the most handsome, the most wonderful, and, and I've got them now. No, that is really at the heart of human love. I've got the highest, best, and most beautiful. The trouble is, in 10 years' time, she's not so beautiful. And everything sagged, and and love sags with it, you see. And it's all over. That's human love. And it's nothing to do with with the Bible at all. Even though religion is built on that concept of that's what God is like. Religion tells you God only loves the highest, the best, and the most beautiful, and the most righteous. But that is as sick as the world's definition of love. In the Bible, now... Okay, that's what is not, which covers most of the brokenness of, of the West. But in, in the Bible, hear me carefully, love is action. It's got nothing to do with feeling to begin with. Love is action. Love is a choice that I give myself away to someone else. Do, do you hear me? Now, that doesn't mean I'm having, you know, bells ringing in my head. It means I make a choice that I am going to give myself and all I have to another person. I am going to be for them. So it's it's action. It's got nothing to do with feeling. Can I underline it? It's action. It means that that other is of such importance that I will listen to them and I will give to them the importance that I believe that they have. And so at the heart of this word, love, is not receiving anything. At the heart of this word is giving. But that's where we get the word grace from. When we say, you know, amazing grace, it doesn't mean and here, this is really another subject, but grace doesn't mean that you don't deserve this. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that someone who believes that you are so worthy that they're going to give you the gift of themselves. That's grace. And so when we, when we sing, you know, Amazing Grace, who saved a wretch like me, I cringe at that because that's not the meaning of the word. And yet, of believers think it is the meaning of the word. And so they think it's very spiritual to grovel like worms and say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. And they think God likes that. But that's not the meaning of the word grace. Grace means God looks at you and you are of such value. You are of such worth that he bestows on us the gift of himself. He gives himself to us. It isn't that he has, you know, woozy feelings about us. He doesn't, you know, lay awake in bed at night thinking of us. Uh, No. 
when we say God is love, it means God has made the unbegun choice that he will give himself to us without strings. That's grace. Grace becomes the vehicle of love, the giving of one to another. And, of course, the word love, especially in the Old Testament, um, the, the Hebrew word there is yada, and you might have heard me talk about it. Yada is the knowing that exists between a husband and a wife. It means transparency. It means I have so given myself to you that there's nothing left for you to know. You will discover me. We will have the adventure of living in this transparency, but I'm hiding nothing. I have given myself, and likewise, the the man, the woman gives to the the, the woman or man. I mean, it, it's yada. It's a, a knowing of the observing as a personal knowing. It's not knowing about. It, it is knowing intimately, personally. That's the meaning of the word love. And I say that's the word used for marriage, and it's the word God uses all the time in the Old Testament for knowing us. So, um, how could I put it? In the, in the Bible, love means a longing. It means a desire. In fact, one of the root words of, of this word love is to breathe heavily. It means that I'm passionate. I, I want this, but it's not simply a feeling that will drive me then to give and to give myself away, to bestow my very self upon another. That other that I see as worthy, as beautiful, as unique and wanted and desired above all others. Now, if you're following what I'm saying Already it could make people a little, um, not only about their own marriage, but um, about the relationship of God. You mean that God does not look at me as a groveling worm of a sinner? No, he doesn't. He looks at me as something so precious, so worthy of such value that he will go to unknown to human lengths in order to find us. Uh, that that's the story of the Bible, and that that's his love. So we come now to the word beloved, and of course, be love. So this word I've been talking about now is right in this word, and it says that you are the one being loved, be loved by God. What does the word then mean? In the light of what I've said, what does this one word mean in the Bible? and in plain English today, it means that the person you have become the focus of love. And again, many times when we would say God is love, that is a broad statement. And people look at it more as sort of us all. You know, it's, we're not personal. He doesn't know us intimately. It's just God is love. He's sort of nice. He's good, kind of. Um, well, this word destroys that, and it says, beloved means you are, you personally are the focus of God's love. It means you are much loved, or you could say dearly loved. All those are ways of translating this word. It means that you are dear to the heart. That's, you are much liked 
And that shocks some people, for they're ready to say God loves me, but to say he likes me, uh, that, that horrifies people. Um, that's the best way, if you're a preacher, to silence the congregation. Um, I, I did one time, I said, you know God loves you, and everybody, oh, that's, that's wonderful. And I said, you know he likes you? And there was dead silence came upon like a shroud on a coffin. Now, no one moved. God likes us? That was uh, impossible. But that's the meaning of the word beloved. It, it means you are a friend, much loved, beloved. It's got in it the idea of tender love, gentle love. It also means, if you say beloved, it means this one has been chosen, preferred. You, you can't say beloved of the entire world in one gulp. Uh, beloved belongs to this one. And when I come to God, he who is present to each one of us says to each one of us, you are chosen, you're preferred, I like you. Uh, unfortunately, the word choice in English today sort of means I'll choose you but not you. We can't think of choice that applies to everybody. But he has chosen us, each one individually. You are the chosen. You're the preferred one of God because you're beloved. That's what it means. And, and beloved has in it, you are desired, you are longed for, you're wanted. Okay, let's push it a bit further. You are a person of great value of great worth. That's that's meaning of the word here. I'm not I haven't started preaching yet. I'm just I'm just telling you what the word means. You have great worth. It means you are favored, or from that we get the word favorite. Um you you're esteemed but you are worthy of love. You don't go out to say to some person you don't want to be with that they're beloved. Um, beloved has in it this this idea of relationship, of of a union. Now, to the person who is the beloved, when you are termed beloved, it means it's a word of sure love. And in that, the word like comes first. Someone might say, I like you. But that moves then to beloved. But beloved carries the like with it. But now it's beloved. It's a sure love. You're not wondering anymore. You know. You've been called beloved. You're secure. You belong to the person who said it to you. They have bestowed upon you. And in bestowing it, they have said, this is sure. I'm not backing off. Um. It means you've been included into a relationship. You're home, and you can lock the door behind you. You're in, because you are beloved. You belong. You're included. If someone says beloved to you, it means they share your life. From here on out, they're going to protect, and they're going to provide, and they're going in whatever part of the relationship give themselves to you. And I say, did you get all of that memorized completely? So the, But do you get the drift of what this word means? And to realize in today's world, we hardly know about that. 
It's been cheapened. But the word beloved in the scripture retains that original meaning. But now the wonder of it, the wonder of this word is that God addresses us. He's the one doing the loving and he calls us beloved. Now that, that's amazing. Um, It's what the Holy Spirit implants in us that we are the beloved and that's why we are sure of our relationship with God. Religion has turned it upside down and says you're the one that's got to love God and if you love God enough, then it's going to be good for you. Whereas the New Testament, well, the whole Bible doesn't say anything about that. It says, rather, it's God who loves you. And that that blows the mind of the religious because everything is up to me in religious. I've got to prove to God I love him. Whereas in the scripture, the gospel has nothing to do with me. I'm the one that's woken up. Uh, say, have you heard the news? You are God's beloved. God loves you. Um, And so it, it moves on in the New Testament that I am the beloved of God. Well, that gives me an identity I didn't have before. My identity before that was in shambles because actually in our creation, we were created to be the beloved of God. And therefore, if, if we don't know that, we don't really know why we're here. Uh, but then that changes me. Sometimes just one word implanted in you changes everything. Because if I am beloved, then you are. And if you are, then when I meet you, I treat you in a far different way than I did yesterday because you are the beloved of God. Then I approach you with something of mouth open. Wow, who have I met today? Someone that is the beloved of God. So you see, everything changes here. Where where does this begin? It begins in God. Go back to what we we meant, God is love. And notice, if we haven't done it before, it doesn't say God has love. I've often said he doesn't have any love. He is it. He is love. It's not that, um, you know, you, you have a glass of water. God says, I am the water. He is. He is love. He is love in itself. Well, then think about this quickly. God is one God, but three persons. And it has to be that, or God couldn't be love. Never thought about that. If there's just one solitary God, who is there to love? You've got to have more than one to have relationship. And that would mean when that isolated monad thing called God, when he would create you, 
it must be just to play with you like a, a game because he doesn't know how to love. You've got to have at least two. So God from unbeginning, before creation, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Now, in what we've just said, that doesn't mean they have, um, you know, fuzzy feelings about each other. It means that the Father gives the totality of himself into the Son. And the Son gives all the Son is into the Father. And the Holy Spirit gives to the Father and the Son, and the Son and the Father. And you have this circle of love. Love as I've been talking about it. Love that gives. And the only thing that the Son is not, he's not the Father. And the only thing the Father is not, he's not the Son. They have given themselves to each other without losing themselves in the other. The only thing the Holy Spirit isn't is Father and Son. The Holy Spirit has given himself, but he doesn't become. And there you have this beautiful, this is God. When we say he is love, that's what I mean, that within God... Father, Son, and Spirit, it is this furnace of giving love. And from that comes unending joy. And therein is peace. That's God. Um, it's not an emotional fest. It's, it's the giving. For God so loved the world, he gave. Didn't have feelings about it. He gave. It's an action, you see. And so... This is the God that we're dealing with, that the center of all existence, the center of the universe, is a God who is total giving, total self for others. That's who God is. That's what holds the universe together. The gospel of religion defines the grace of God as rooted in the belief that we are wretched, untouchable, unworthy, unlovable, and God is a remote singular who doesn't love. He governs, he judges, he, he well, he does a lot of things, but not love, not love. And that's tragic. I could name denominations and go down the list of what they believe. And they say, God is power, God is always here, God knows everything, God created, and on and on and on they go. And then right at the bottom was a P.S., he, he, he's love. But they don't know how it all fits together. Whereas the Bible puts that first. It says he's love. God, by his very being, gives himself away. And, and so that means that creation is not just God popping fireworks and I'll show you how powerful I am. Creation was God giving himself away to creatures. Because that's the mystery that hardly has an answer. Why would God do that? You know, seriously. If, if the family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit is in this, I call it the furnace of love, of joy, of peace, why on earth would he create us to mess the whole thing up? But... That's the mystery. God gave himself away to create us. You are the gift of God in action. Your life, you didn't ask for it. You didn't give him permission to give it to you. You arrived here by the gift of God. 
that you are one chosen just because you breathe and live to become part of this love adventure. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, he created us with the intention of including us into the Holy Trinity family in Christ. He created you and I to be the focus of his love. Um, we were singing the song yesterday um, in our home uh, the, that he knows my name. You know, you, you, you could say that for the next year and still not get to the bottom of it. He know, and it says it. That's not something we invented. It says in Isaiah, he who formed you, created you, says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Well, I say, say that for the next year, and it would change. This is, this is our God. He's not remote. He's not up. He's looking straight into your eyes and saying, I redeemed you. you I, I, I know your name. You are mine. That's what it says. And notice that. You're, you're not just simply loved in a general sense. You know, God is love. So he's sort of nice to us all. Rather, it, it says, I have called you, you by name. You are mine. You know, this, this New Testament is mine. Which means I've got my fingerprints all over it. I've got my history wrapped up inside of it, you see. And it's not yours, it's mine. And what price on this? Well, you don't go to the bookstore to find out because this is mine. So the price on this far exceeds a bookstore price, you see. This is mine. And when you, when you would buy this from me, you would buy my memories, you would, you would buy my life that's been wrapped up in it. Mine, mine. Do you get that? God puts his hands around you and says, you are mine, you're mine. Called you by name. Or as the shepherd went out into the wilderness, not to hunt wild sheep. It says, I have lost my sheep. And the shepherd went out to find his sheep. He said, rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. That's who you are, you see. You are. Religion says you, are, you half belong to the devil. But uh, no, that's of course a religious lie. Um, you, you belong to God. He made you for goodness sake. He's got his trademark on you. But much more than that, I say again, he says you are mine. You're created individually. And have you thought about this? That when we say God loves us, it's not a separate kind of love to that that we found first in the Holy Trinity. The way the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, well, that's love. Remember, God is it, so that is it. So when he loves you, it's not something else, sort of a third grade kind of love. Well, that was the love that God loves God with. But with you, well, you know, not, not as strong as that. It's been watered down a bit. No. There's only one kind of love. If God is love, that's love. So it means that when we say God loves you and says of you, beloved, it's the same love that the Father has to the Son, the Son has to the Father. Same love. Same grade. When he says 
You are beloved. It's what he said to Jesus, but it's what he said to you. It's the same word. He loves us. Huh. And when I look at my neighbor, he loves my neighbor with the same love. There is no two kinds of love. And so this love was bestowed on us before time. It's got nothing to do with Adam sinned and Jesus had to come and clean up the mess. That, that's got nothing to do with it. From before there was the ticking of a clock, before God said in the beginning, before the beginning, the New Testament makes it very plain. That's when he chose you. Chose you. I can't think that. I'm only reporting it. it, it I don't think anybody can think it. But the Holy Spirit can make me realize it's true. That I'm not here by chance. I am here because he bestowed divine God love on us before time. Well, that means I wasn't even here to earn it. I wasn't here to do anything to deserve it. Nor could I do anything to stop it. Do you understand that? It... God, and I'm not talking about your next door neighbor, I'm talking about God who made all that is and made it according to a blueprint. I can't do anything to stop that. So, like it or not, you're loved. You can't do anything to make him love you, nor can you do anything to stop him. Get used to it. That's it. He didn't ask your permission. And there's nothing I can do that changes the divine agenda. And that love, well, of course, I did nothing to earn it. Of course. And anyway, a gift, it's an obscene to think of paying for a gift. Can you imagine at Christmas time, you get a gift, but along with the gift it says you're a dirty, rotten wretch, you worm, but I in my greatness am giving you... No thanks, I don't want it. Yeah. Or, or this is a gift and here's the bill, you know. Please understand, I've just been describing religion. That's... No. They make nonsense of words. If it is the gift of God, I don't know usually what a gift paid for. It was expensive. I don't know. It came to me as a gift. No price tag. And it came to me because of a certain value the giver puts on me. So, you are loved. And it comes to us as the gift bestowed upon us. And that's why we're here. That's the basis of all creation. That we were made for this relationship with God. And it is this love and the knowing that we are loved that holds life together. That, that makes sense out of everything. But if I don't know it, if I don't know that I am born to be united with God, if I don't know that I'm born to be his friend, much-loved friend, much-desired friend, then I, I don't know who I am. I feel guilty for being alive. I wander around in nonsense circles. I don't know why I'm here. And of course, sin, which is an old word that 
we never use except in church. Um, so, you know, but that's another subject. But what I mean is don't just think sin is you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other. Can I tell you, listen carefully, sin was the impossible, insane attempt to separate, to actually ban God's gift. You think about that. I'm not talking about murder, adultery, that, that. no, sin. What happened in the Garden of Eden was none of that. Sin was the entrance of an idea. As all Satan did, he didn't make them do anything. He dropped an idea in their head. And that idea opened up a whole, to Adam, it opened up a whole new possibility. He didn't stop to think of it being an insane, impossible possibility. He plunged into it to separate himself from the gift of God, to ban being unconditionally loved, to become an independent creature. I'm my own man, my own life, and I am capable of earning the right to be accepted. I am capable of doing and performing to be included in what you call God. I will be a source of my own life. I'll be the blueprint. I'll tell you what I'm doing and where I'm going and why I'm here. Because all his answers come up as nonsense. Because you, you talk to the greatest brains, at least the brains in England, um, some of the greatest scientists in the world, and you push them and push them as they've been done in interviews. Why are we here? How do we get here? And, and one of the greatest brains in the world sat there on camera and says, little green men from Mars came and blew on the earth, and here we are. Wow. And they got a PhD for saying that. Um, another one, I heard him on public radio, and he says, we are no more significant than the roll of a dice in Las Vegas. He said, it came up sixes, and here you are. And then when you're snuffed out, your gone is finished. You're, you're just an accident in a blip in time. Well, I mean, yeah. If, if I ban the love of God, if I separate myself from God, now I'm on my own to make up, invent a story of why I'm here. And there's no answer to that. To be in that darkness, and it's a specific darkness, the darkness of the human mind since Adam is the darkness of not knowing I am beloved. Did you get that? It is a specific darkness. I don't know who God is. I don't know his love and I don't know that I am beloved. And if you live in that don't know, it has a million faces of twisted, broken everything falls apart because that's the glue that holds us together. I will be lured into anything that could addict me, I'll find it, to somehow numb the pain of not knowing I'm loved, not knowing why I'm here. That's what it is. 
Or you could say this, that we are God's beloved. And in the Garden of Eden, we got some terrible, terrible dementia. And in that moment, we lost our minds. And we didn't know anymore who our father was. And we didn't know he loved us. And we believed alien, dark things were our father. And it's as if the bride of Christ lost her mind and ran away. But what does God do at such tragedy? Well, he cannot cease to be who he is. God isn't love one day and then gets upset the next day and rejects you. That, that, that's not God. All that God is, God is always. And, and so God can't see. He is good. He is love. He is it. He is kindness. And he cannot dump us. He wouldn't. It's not in his nature. He cannot. Nor can he say, well, you know, I had a great plan there, but two little pipsqueaks that I invented, they screwed it up, so let's throw away the plan. God doesn't throw away his blueprint because the first two didn't like it. Um, seriously. No. God can't be put off by the creature that he just created. So, if the creature that was created to be loved, the creature that is God's beloved, if now that creature doesn't know that and is now crazy on its way to invent another existence that doesn't exist, what's God going to do about that? Seeing as he is good, seeing that he loves this creature, and that creature is you and I, of course, what does God do? It's the unthinkable. But he would join us in the darkness, you see. And you have to say as that sentence, it's, it's not God would join us because people do believe Jesus is God who just came and sort of hung out with us. But all the time he was saying, well, I'm not you, I'm not you, you know, I'm greater than you. I'm... No, you haven't read the Gospels. Jesus joined us. That means he became a human. The creator became one that he created. He became a genuine, 100% human being without ever ceasing to be this God who loves us. But he didn't just become a human being. He became a human being, which means he got inside the darkness so that he knew how we didn't know Father. He got, so he saw what we saw. He saw it in our darkness. Do you, do you understand? And he saw all the potential, the possibilities of making up life without the Father. And he knew it. He, he got where we are. And as a human, as the human, he chose not to believe what he saw. Do you, do you get it? He became us, but he didn't believe what we see, even though he saw it. 
even though the voice of Satan was as real to Jesus as it was to Adam. He refused to be Adam. He said, I know the truth. And if you read the Gospels, he's constantly saying that. My father, my father, you say this, but my father knows the truth. But that's not just God. It is God who says, I'll stand in your shoes. I'll get inside your flesh. I will see what you see. And as human, that so, I'm the creator of humans, so I can sum up human. I will speak a new word. Satan's word is the mind of Adam. Jesus got inside that mind and spoke another word and said, Father loves you. You are his beloved. Do, do you see what I mean? He got inside the darkness and he's the light. He turned on the switches. Became. He came inside the darkness of not beloved. Into the blindness and the futility. Okay, that's that first text. That, that's, who we, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. And the Father speaks now in a voice that could be heard inside our atmosphere and said, essentially, do you know who this is? This is my son, my beloved. But he wasn't just talking about the Son of God as Son had been up to the creation. He's talking about the Son of God who now is human. So what the Father is doing, which was according to their own love conspiracy about us, they intended this, he got inside of us and brought us to know and to feel the love that we were created to know. He said, I represent the human. And the Father says to me, human, God, but he's human. God says, my beloved. And of course, that's what Satan really... You ever thought about the temptations of Jesus? That don't really make sense. Satan says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. That's a jolly good idea if you're hungry. Um, you know, what, what, what's tempting about and take him to the top of the temple, say, jump off and angels will catch you. And because the whole nation will come running to listen to what you have to say. It's a good idea, actually. But what Satan was saying, do, now let's, let's pull it apart. If you are the son of God, where, where did Satan get that from? He heard it just a few weeks before at the River Jordan when father says, this is my son, my beloved so now Satan comes to him. Hear me carefully. He says, he said, you're the son of God. <laughs> that takes some convincing. You, you, you don't look like the son of God. You haven't eaten for six weeks. You, you look like a scarecrow, man. You've been in the desert. Good grief, you need a shower. I mean, you, you said the son of God? No, I tell you what, if you're the son of God, you'd better do something. You'd, you've got to perform something to prove that you're the son of God. 
Jesus says, no, I live by the voice of my Father, not by you taunting me and saying, do something. I'm not the Son of God because I could do something. I'm the Son of God because Father says so and I know it. Do, do you get that? You're, you're not beloved because you've done something to prove it. That's Satan's absolute number one temptation. You've got to do something to prove that you're the child of God, the beloved. No, Jesus said, I won't. He could have. In fact, he did a few years later. He fed 5,000 out of a handful of food. He could, but not to prove he was beloved. It was to love the people, see. And that that's... He was, Jesus was not here to taunt us and say, I'm God, I can do all of this and you can't, ha, ha, ha. Jesus is God who got inside us at our worst and said, now I know how you feel, I know what you see, and I'm showing you what real human was supposed to be. Not trying to do something to prove that you are, just say, I am because that's who he created me to be. And that's what the cross is all about. God coming inside us at our worst, our very worst, and there declaring us the beloved of God. And, and, and he, he showed us what it's like to be the beloved of God. You know, He said, well, why are you anxious? You're going around in circles saying, what should we eat? What should we put on? Where should we live? Are we going to make it through the summer? He said, no, your father, don't you know, you're the beloved. Your father cares for you as a beloved child. Relax. He showed it. Do you remember um, when the storm, the worst storm the Sea of Galilee had seen, and the boat is nearly sinking, and, and Jesus is asleep. And when they shook him and says, we do a perishing, he says, what's the matter? Where's your faith? Meaning, the Father looks after us. We're not victims of the storm. We're, we're the focus of his love. That's what it means, he said. He's showing us this is what it means. Your life is all in pieces because you don't know that. But you live in the arms of Father. Father who never leaves you. When he was about to be crucified, you remember, and everybody ran away. And he says, but I'm not alone. The Father is with me. He continually showed us that. And was saying to us, which he did before he goes to the cross, the Father loves you exactly as he loves me. Has anyone ever told you that before? That you are beloved just the same way as Jesus was and is. So into my Adam mind, which is that mental darkness, a dementia, a craziness, a losing my mind, that I don't even know that I am the beloved, into that comes the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is God's mind wrapped up in us humans until it is a human mind, but it's God's mind. And he puts it inside of us. Look at that. That's radical. It's radical. 
that you are as beloved as God the Son is. You are as beloved as Jesus, who is God the Son, become one of us. That's his mind, and he puts it inside of our mind. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our heart. Now do you understand what I started out with? You're beloved, which means you are much loved. You are dearly loved. You are dear to the heart of God. You are much liked. You're his best friend, much loved. And he does it with tender, gentle love, without any harshness. He has chosen you because you're breathing. You're alive. He must be, you're one of the chosen. That he will bestow and reveal his love in you. It means you're desired. You're much longed for. You're of value, of worth that I can't put a figure to. You have been esteemed by God, your creator, as worthy of love. And so when you are in your deepest darkness, he calls you my sheep. You are mine. And of course, it means you're created to be united one with the lover, with a sure and certain love, with a love that causes you to know that you belong to the lover, that you're included, that you share his love and life. This is the gospel, you see. Um, That's what the first believers in the New Testament understood. That's what what they said to people. They didn't say, do you want to get saved from hell? And and seriously, it's it's very far removed from this. This This is now, at this moment, on this day in May, sitting in this room in Bandera, Texas, we are the beloved of God. And we're in process of discovering that. And every new step we take in discovering it is wow. But I would expect that if I'd had dementia and didn't even know my dad. And then gradually I wake up to reality. It's wow. Or as we read, you know, behold what a foreign kind of love yes it is foreign it's unlike any love i'm going to meet on earth behold what foreign kind of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be we should be called the sons of god and then beloved i can the holy spirit's arms are coming up beloved now are we the sons of god forget about the future now we are the sons of god it, it it plunges us. Just that, if you've got half a sentence of what I'm talking about, it plunges you immediately into a radical new reality that we're included just in Christ, in Jesus, and Jesus and I share the same relationship to the Father. And it's, you know, we're, we're in a world, and I, I'm not getting into politics, um, whether you, whatever you believe, you have to agree. 
we're in a mess when it comes to who am I? Because racism is all about who am I? And I look at you and I say, I'm not you. That's, that's racism. Um, sexism is because in, in 21st, we, we, we don't know who we are uh, to the point where, you know, um, I, I, I was applying in Hilton. I might as well name the hotel. Uh, I was applying, uh, I was rather, I was filling out one of those things, how great the people had been in serving me. But on the last page it says, you know, who are you? Male, female, or other? And I guess I made the big mistake. I said male. Because immediately the whole thing nearly went crazy on my computer screen. said, error, error, error. <laughs> so I thought I'd put, you know, monkey. I, I, I don't know. They, people don't know who they are anymore. Can you imagine? Don't know who you are. Well, in Galatians 3, it cuts right through that. He says, you're in Christ. That is, you're beloved. And all those that are in Christ, he says, there's neither male nor female. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither Greek nor Scythian, which is saying that's racism, different nationalities. He says, we are all one in Christ. We have found our common identity that we are the beloved of God and therefore our differences are not separating but rather to you in a different way to me express the love of God because we found our basic identity it's the watermark the identifying mark of the believer and think about that and I'm, I'm I don't think I'm speaking to anybody here, seriously, but I know people out there, I've been around a bit, and people say, well, you know, I've got to prove that I'm really the son of God. I'm going to turn water into wine. Um, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to do these things. And quite frankly, I believe, yes, I believe, I've seen most of that in my life. Um, dare I say it? It's no big deal. And Jesus didn't say, they shall know you are my disciples because you turn water into wine. And I say, I have seen the like of turning water into wine. I've been involved in the multiplication of food. And it's no big deal. And I mean that. Giving praise to God, I still say it's no big deal. Jesus said, there's only one thing, one thing, one thing that will identify you as you've got this. He said, because you love one another. That is, I have discovered my belovedness and I now see you differently and I count you the beloved of God. The greatest wonder that goes beyond any miracle you'll ever see is that I can love you and you can love me with a divine love. The biggest, that's the biggest, you can't get beyond that. Huh. It's love one another as I have loved you. It doesn't mean being nice to each other. It means love as I loved. How did you love Jesus? I loved you as the Father loved me. And I passed his love to you. Now you pass our love to the world. That's a Christian. Supernatural? Of course it's supernatural. The whole of Christianity is supernatural. If we could ever get outside of the religious box. Creation, that's supernatural. Incarnation, God became flesh. God 
crucified on the cross, resurrected, ascended, Holy Spirit in you? Is there anything natural about this? No. So don't don't be upset. We this is why I am born from above to love you knowing that I am loved. See and, and love is as I is not a feeling, not a feeling. To love is seeing the other as God intends them to be. Do you get that? That is I look through your behavior I have compassion and look through your words because I know you don't know what you're saying. You're talking out of the darkness. And I see you as God intended you to be. Or I see you through God's eyes. And he obviously, if you read the Gospels, is not hung up on behavior. I know that's shocking to say, especially when I've only got 60 seconds left to talk. But um, he sat down with the worst of sinners, really. People that no decent church member would even look at, let alone sit with. And he made best friends with them. He hung out with crooks, mafia, with, with, with prostitutes, I mean, I can understand when the Pharisees, who were the holy church, they were horrified at him. But Jesus did, because he didn't see their behavior. He didn't endorse their behavior. In fact, he's going to change their behavior. But he just accepts them where they are and sees them. Even as the shepherd saw the sheep as a lost sheep, one of his even though the sheep thought it was having a high adventure. But the shepherd knew, number one, you are my sheep. You seem to have forgotten that. Number two, you're not on a high adventure. You're killing yourself. And I'm not the grand interferer. I've come to rescue you. But you don't know any of that, so I'll just put my arms around you, put you on my neck, and carry you home. Um, doesn't beat the sheep, doesn't threaten the sheep, doesn't exclude the sheep. Says, I'm your savior, you know. So we see through, and everybody, starting with me right through here, who we are today, we've, we've come through or we're still in a pile of pain. We've been through rejection, we've been through abuse, every one of us. I'm not putting down your experience. I'm just saying, you don't know mine. You, you don't, we don't. We've got marvelous masks. And we are, I say it again, every one of us here, every one of you there, you, you, you've got a history there, pain, rejection, abuse. And, and it stifles us. And yet... God joined us and sat down in the middle of that, knows us as he knows us, and tells that broken person, you are beloved. And when they see it and know they're beloved, they turn and say, you're beloved. So that's that's Christianity, you see. And the way we speak to each other shape our lives. And I mean, every not 
just to each other here, but wherever we speak to people, we shape their lives. And 99% of the time, we define a person by their behavior. We define them by what they said. And we, that's it. We, we speak of them as that. Well, James chapter 3, that's another whole two hours, but it, it says that our words actually fashion and form. We, we, if I, Paul says, I'm a helper of your faith. That is, I, I'm telling you who you really are. And in so doing, I'm helping your faith. I'm fashioning your faith. It's what we do. Our words to one another define their life or is helping to define their life. It's either we're speaking as agents of the lie and say you are your behavior or we are lovers who know they're beloved and now share the good news and speak to the person inside that darkness that they are beloved. Do you see how modern evangelism is so utterly self-centered? Why, why, why do you want to become a Christian? Because I don't want to go to hell. So I'll sign on the dotted line and say I believe in Jesus. Okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to hell. That has, read it, the, the entire Bible if you want, but certainly the New Testament, it's not there. Absolutely. It says, you have discovered the meaning of life in the face of Jesus Christ, which is to be for you. I am going to give to you the greatest gift I can. I'm going to give myself to you as the one who now calls you beloved and acts towards you in a way that I believe in what God says about you. Well, I'll tell you what. This is the passion. It's um, it's a paraphrase. It's the scripture as Brian Simmons sees it. And in the Song of Solomon, he um, translates or gives his paraphrase of what was in the Song of Solomon, which I don't know if you've read it, but it's a highly romantic story and uses very romantic words, but it is a story that points to the relationship of Jesus with you. And in, in here, and it's in chapter 2, he describes the dawning of a new life in me. And it's like springtime. And, and springtime comes when we discover we are beloved. And it's high summer when we discover we are loved in order to love and call each other beloved, as they did in the New Testament. And so now, with that, this is a romantic poem, but it's talking about our new day, the new life, the springtime, when we discover life in Christ. And, and Jesus is speaking, Arise, my dearest, my beloved, Hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you into my heart, lead you out. For now is the time. Underline that. Now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. 
The season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing, pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of your destiny? breaking forth all around you. The early signs of my purpose and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of your new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there's change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion. Run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. I don't know if that says anything to you, but to me, there's something happening. And you won't hear this from me very much, but there is something happening worldwide in the Church of Jesus Christ. And persons that we would never have dreamed before have discovered God loves them. Religion is collapsing by the minute. All over the world, people are discovering they are God's beloved. It's just what I read. It's blooming. Don't you, don't you see it? The time of change has come. And it's come right into this room in Bandera and to a hundred rooms out there in Zoom. It's come. And it's time to wake up and realize that not only God is love, you are his beloved. And not only that you are his beloved, but that you are to give it. You know, and I'll quit on this, um, we receive the love of God. There's many people that would accept the fact of the love of God, but it dead ends in themselves. That's it. And they're perfectly content. That's it. I'm loved. Uh-huh. You missed the point. Um Maybe even worse than that is the U-turners. Um, they receive the love of God, and then they think the meaning of life is to give it back to him. And they call that praise and worship. That I, and He loved me, I love you. He loved me, I love you. And many of the charismatics ended up there. Um, that No, you missed it. Um, God's love comes to me, and I am but the hose through whom the love of God goes to others. It's not sending it back to him, nor does it dead end in me. It, it floods my life and then goes to you. And um, that's the change. That's a radical change that's occurring all over the world right now. And you, and you, we're all right in the middle of it. And I say awake and realize you're in the middle of it. And in a holy sense, get with it and um, be who you are. Let the Holy Spirit open your eyes. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, do just that. Open the eyes of our understanding to discover for ourselves the adventure that is taking place all around us, the dance of joy. Awake. Awake, my soul. Holy Spirit, awaken us that we might awaken on the dance floor of heaven. 
to join with you in this love that you have for us, in us and through us. Let it be so, in the name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.